welcome to another edition of the Informal Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We don't know how you're finding us, but we're glad you're finding us. Keep going back there. My name's Sam Lewis. I'm here with a special guest for this baseball podcast. I'm here with my good friend Aaron Lewis. What's going on, Lewis? Uh, not much, Lewis. Just glad to be here, ready to get talking about some baseball. Hoping March gets here soon. Baseball is the greatest sport in the world. I don't think it can be debated at this point. And we're going to give an entire podcast to the sport here. Specifically, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame, the induction ceremony, or not the ceremony, but the announcement's coming up next week. And we think we should shed some light on who should be in and just the correct opinions to have overall. That's right. And I couldn't think of anybody better to get on to help us out, help us out with this um, other than Lewis here. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive right in. First of all, we're going to start with some general overview as far as our strategy, what we think a Hall of Famer is, the criteria we're going to use, and we're going to go into our own ballots and tell you who should be in the Hall of Fame this year. And we're going to – maybe we'll disagree a little bit. Maybe we won't. We'll see. What do you think, Lewis? Uh, well, just from what we've said earlier, I think we're going to agree on a pretty good bit of stuff. But from some of the stuff you sent me uh, to be thinking about, I think I see one or two spots we're going to have some differing opinions for sure. Well, I mean, I think we're a couple of smart guys, good, intelligent baseball fans. And I think that uh, we'll probably agree on most things. So let's, let's jump right into this. So yeah. the Hall of Fame, like I said, the announcement's next week. Some general rules. Um, Baseball Writers Association votes on it. You have to have at least 75% of the vote to get in, mm-hmm. and only 10 guys can be on your individual ballot That's every right. year. So there's more than that eligible, but you can only pick 10. So just as a broad strategy going into this, what are your basic criteria to get in? What do you look for? What is a Hall of Famer to you in a few sentences? And it's kind of funny you asked me that earlier, just because like when you first asked that, I guess I'd never given much thought to why guys should be in the Hall of Fame. But the more I broke it down, I thought the two big things that stand out to me are one, you know, longevity. You know, how long were you in the game? How long were you putting up good seasons? Uh, the obvious stuff. But also, where were you at your peak? Because we've got some guys in the Hall of Fame who maybe only played somewhere from 12, 13, 14 years. Sandy but, Koufax. Exactly, but were incredible players. Uh, whereas some guys maybe weren't quite at the top of their game but were around for 25, 26 years. Yep. Uh, guys like... Um, Okay, I, I feel bad saying this, but like Phil Necro. You know, Phil Necro was around forever and was a very good pitcher, but was never quite the best guy in the league. Uh, so some kind of mix of that, you know, longevity, peak. Yeah. I tried not to get too much into the statistical aspect of it, but, you know, that's going to be in there. Uh, what about you, though? What are you thinking? I, I like what you said there about the best in the league. I think that if you're never considered one of the top three or four players in the league at any given moment, it's tough for me to think you're a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I think... When I, when I think about the Hall of Fame broadly, I don't think, especially with baseball, I mean, you talk about basketball, everybody gets in the basketball Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. The baseball Hall of Fame is supposed to be a little more exclusive. It's supposed to be for the actual greatest players. And I think if you have to think too hard about a guy, if you yeah. have to go really deep into elaborate arguments to get him in, he's probably not supposed to be in. I think with a Hall of Famer, you just kind of know, you know, sure. just from watching him play. But then, you know, outside of that, there are some, some statistical when you get to comparing one guy versus the other, you're going to have to break down the stats a little mm-hmm. bit, which we'll get into that a and, little bit later. And I will say, I, I said that I tried not to get too much into the st- uh, statistical aspect of it. Two I, two things I do look at, though, is like, I hate when guys call guys Hall of Famers just because they've got 500 home runs, they've yep. got 300 wins. I Not beyond counting stats, you know I'm a big nerd for uh, wins above replacement, stuff like that. Yep. But one statistic I found very helpful in regards to the Hall of Fame is one called War 7. Are you familiar with that? Very vaguely yeah. in that I've seen it as a category on baseball reference, but yeah. please explain it And to War me. 7, basically kind of the idea of it is that you take a player's best seven years yes. of their career and say, you know, at their peak, were they, you know, just a solid player or were they, you know, an MVP level guy? So maybe a guy played for 20 years and was pretty okay most of the time, but if he had seven fantastic years, we should consider that guy for the Hall of Fame. And uh, I just found, find that kind of Absolutely. interesting. Absolutely. And I think you that's where you can get into trouble with the – not only the counting stats, but even with war as a counting stat. Oh, yeah. The longer you play, the Absolutely. more stats you're going to compile. And I think the Hall of Fame is supposed to be about greatness. It's supposed to be about elite-level players. Mm-hmm. And when you look at – first mention of Andrew Jones on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Andrew Jones's peak was as high as anybody's. You yeah. know, And he fell off quick there at the end, and we'll discuss whether or not he should be in. But I think that that's the kind of thing that you need out of a Hall of Famer is you need him to be – 
at that elite level mm-hmm. at, for at least an extended period of time. Maybe not 15 years, but at least give me you know five to seven years of elite production Absolutely. before I can consider you as a Hall of Famer. Okay, the second overall question that I think we need to dive into before we start talking specific players is the, the big question when it comes to the Hall of Fame in this century is what do you do with the steroid guys? I mean, you've got guys that are absolute lock Hall of Famers, some of the greatest players of all time, who've had that question prominently you know, put with their name. I mean, we know who we're talking about here. We're talking about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens first and foremost, and then next we're talking about Manny and Sammy Sosa, guys who haven't necessarily tested positive except for Manny, but guys who everybody kind of knows they were cheating. So what do you do with those guys? Well, and yeah, that's the big elephant in the room these days. And I'll be totally honest with you. uh, On this podcast, I'm going to try and remain as unbiased as possible regarding those guys. But I'll be totally honest with you. As a, you know, kid watching those guys, you know, when you're 9, 10, 11 years old and you're watching Barry Bonds put up 73 home runs, you think that guy's, you know, the, the peak of baseball performance. And then, you know, you get into your teenage years and you find out maybe they did so through dishonest means, you know, that, that does play a big impression on you just because as an adult, I think you can differentiate, you know, what's real, what's fake, all that. But yep. back then, that's a big deal to a kid. And for some reason, it still kind of sticks out to me. So what I'm going to say about those guys is that I think Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are the two who are worth talking about. You know, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez. I, I, I don't know if you mentioned Gary Sheffield or not, but he's also he's on Yeah, the ballot. I, I didn't mention him here. We'll get into him later. But, yeah, yeah he was caught up in the Balco thing. Yeah. And, you know. and I'll say this. I'm not saying they're not worth talking about because they're not good players. I just think when you look at their Hall of Fame numbers so far, you know, what their voting percentages are at. I just think that's a case you take on down the road years later. But Bonds and Clemens are for sure interesting uh, guys. Well, yeah, when you talk about Bonds and Clemens, it, there's a really good argument that Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter of all time and Roger Clemens is the greatest pitcher of all mm-hmm. time. I agree When that. you just look at, you know, statistically the numbers they put up for as long as they did. And their longevity is without a doubt, I mean, not without a doubt, but it really looks like it was, you know, manufactured sure. chemically, if we're being honest. But... Those guys are at a level where I think the Hall of Fame's a baseball museum. I mean, it's about the history of the game, and you can't mm-hmm. tell the history of the game without those two guys. Sure. Where I draw the line with that is if you tested positive, served suspension for testing positive, you know, especially more than once, that's when I get to the point where we don't know if anything you did was real. That's right. You know, we're talking about Manny. I am, at least. Okay. When you test positive, what, twice, three times, something like he that? He tests positive. That's all that matters to me. Yeah. yeah. And I, once you get there, I mean, once you get to that point, I think you could, you're a cross-off for me. Because, I mean, Bonds and Clemens, there's a lot of, you know, allegations and innuendos and court documents, but they never tested positive for anything. Sure. And that doesn't mean they didn't cheat, but I don't know. Maybe it's silly. Maybe it's naive. But there's a difference to me in – he said, she said things, and there's a test result that says you failed. Now, just curious, uh, have you ever been to the Baseball Hall of Fame? I haven't, but we might need to go this year sure. if Chipper gets No, I, I was going to bring that up later. But uh, one thing you said that I thought was interesting was, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Baseball Hall of Fame is a museum. I mean, some of us like to hold it into this high esteem, like it's above everything. But at the end of the day, it's a giant building that's telling the history of baseball. And, you know, we would be kind of remiss to go through the late 90s, early 2000s and not talk about some of these guys. So, yeah, that's definitely something to think about. Yeah. Uh, and you you got kind of close to another thing I wanted to talk about is that at the time when Bonds and Clemens were allegedly cheating, a lot of guys were sure. cheating, you know, and it – when you start just categorically denying guys access to the hall, when they were probably cheating, but how many of those 762 home runs, 762 home runs, came off a pitcher who was also cheating? Right. You know, so sure. it, it becomes split in hairs at some point. And I think, especially with Bonds and Clemens, they're at a level of greatness where they've got to be in. Oh, and yeah. It, Manny, you cross him off because he, like we said, he tested positive. Sammy Sosa, he had 609 home runs. Did he do anything else that was really Hall of Fame I mean, worthy? Sammy Sosa is basically Jim Tomei if Tomei played for the Cubs, is the way I look at it, and played right field. But. Yeah, I, I mean, just looking at even you know the stats of Sammy Sosa, it really, he was a pure power hitter. And right. at the beginning of his career, he did other things too. But by the end, that's all he was doing was hitting home oh, runs. Oh, yeah. And if there was no steroid allegation, what I think he was a Hall of Famer, 
I mean, 600 home runs is a lot of home it runs. Is, yeah. But like you said, we don't want to just reward the counting stats, and I don't think he gets to 600 yeah. without the uh, chemical enhancement. And now uh, I've got the ballot on me right now. I'm looking for Sammy Sosa. In the last or last year, he got 8.6% of the vote. So He's one, not getting in. Yeah, one day, is he worth talking about? Maybe. I'd say today's not that day. Yeah, you're probably right. With, with that being said, you mentioned the ballot. Let's go ahead and dive into it. Sure. So I think the easiest and smoothest way to do this is just to bang them out. Give me yours, and then okay. I'll give you mine. And bear with us if you're listening to this. It might get a little clunky here, but <laughs> I think that we need to get them out in the open, and then we can see where we differ, and we can have some more in-depth discussion about some yeah. specific guys. So just run down your list of guys that you think should be in, right. in Bef- this year's bio. Yeah, ballot. before I give my ballot, just two little precursors, precursors Excuse me, I'll give, is that number one, I think that voters should use all 10 of their slots personally. I've heard a lot or read a lot of articles recently saying that they should up the number of guys on the ballot, which yep. to an extent I agree with, but I think we should start with just actually using those. I know a lot of Hall of Fame voters will only use a couple, or some guys don't think there should be any unanimous guys and say submit an empty ballot. Which is ridiculous. I agree, trust me. That's you know uh, number one. Number two, now we just talked about Bonds and Clemens a little bit, and I will go ahead and admit I left them off of my ballot. For really? the ridiculous reasons I kind of mentioned a minute ago of uh, letting my childhood, letting my <laughs> early experiences with the game affect that. Uh, I'm biased. Like I said, I try and avoid it, but that's the way it is. So before any talk about it, my 10 guys are, uh, in, and I kind of put it in order, guys who I thought are the biggest locks to uh, the last guys. Okay. It goes Chipper Jones. Obviously. Jim Tomei. Yep. Mike Mussina. Kurt Schilling. Larry Walker. Scott Rowland. Vladimir Guerrero, who I guess is Guerrero Sr. these days, uh, <laughs> Edgar Martinez, Andrew Jones, and Fred McGriff. Fred McGriff. I love yeah. that you said Fred <laughs> McGriff. Just for you. And you, Yeah, exactly. You said something about not being biased. This is the informal podcast, yeah. all right? It's not a Titans podcast, but we are biased about some things. And Fred McGriff's a <laughs> Hall of Famer. All right, we're going to go into Fred McGriff, obviously. I'm glad you said that. The only guy I heard on there um, that I was kind of surprised with was Scott Rowland. Okay. But I'm glad you said that. He's not on my list, but just looking at the numbers, he's not on my list because I think, first of all, you only have 10 guys. Yep. And I think he is Hall of Fame worthy, but I just there's 10 guys that I like better that I think deserve my vote more this year. Um, but like you said before you started, I don't know that you can mandate that you use all 10 of your votes, mm-hmm. but I think that you have to open it up because the Hall of Fame is a merit-based honor and I think that you should be able to vote for guys that you think deserve it regardless of how many that is whether you think there's only four or five or whether you think there's 15 in a given year and I know that this year especially on last year too mm-hmm. there is way more than 10 that I wanted to vote for and I had to cut guys off it's that a good I, ballot it's a good ballot that I think are deserving just because you can only put 10 on there and so then you start getting into well I think that this guy was a better player than this guy, but if I don't vote for this guy, he's going to fall off the ballot. Mm-hmm. And then, so you can't just vote for the best ten guys. You have to use your vote sparingly. I've even heard of a couple of guys that didn't vote for Chipper Jones, who I think is yep. widely perceived as a lock of a Hall of Famer because he's going to get ninety plus percent. They say, well, he doesn't need my vote, but Andrew might need True. my vote to bought, stay yeah. on. So there's too too much math involved for me. Yeah, that's for sure. I think you just open it up and you trust the guys that you give a vote to to vote for the ten best. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll go through mine, and then we can kind of dive into it yep. a little bit more. So I, mine aren't in any particular order other than the order that was on baseball reference. Okay. I just went down and kind of checked off the guys I thought and then went back and took guys out. So the 10 I settled on, Vladimir Guerrero, Edgar Martinez, shout out to all the DHs out there. <laughs> DHs are people too. Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, so we're going to disagree right there on Absolutely. a couple. Larry Walker, Fred McGriff, Crime Dog, mm-hmm. Gary Sheffield, Chipper Jones, Jim Tomey, Andrew Jones. That's a brave, heavy list. I was going to say, we only got four Braves in there, I think, just off the top. Are you going to throw Rafael Fercal in when he's eligible? Rafael Fercal is one of the most – he should have made my most exciting players list. If you didn't listen to that podcast, go find it. It's a good one. Rafael Fercal is great. Rookie of the year, man. I love Rafael Fercal. So those are my ten guys. Um, So the main – well, the only differences we had are that I had – you know, for lack of a better term, the steroid guys. I had Bonds, Clemens, and Gary Sheffield in. And taking those three guys out, you had um, Mike Mussina, Kurt Schilling, and Scott Rowland. So that's our big difference based on our just on the guys that we picked. Um, and for me, the reason I included those guys is kind of what we talked about earlier. I mean, I think 
especially Bonds and Clemens, are just clear Hall of Famers. And I think that while they may have cheated, this is this is kind of a weak argument, but I think that those guys are Hall of Famers without cheating. And it's tough to say that. You mm-hmm. can't say that. But I'm going to say it because it's our podcast yeah. and we can say whatever we want. And I think that those guys are at the elite level where they're so good that you can't leave them out. And I think Sheffield... The accusations against him are kind of murkier, mm-hmm. you know, not as concrete. Sure. I think Sheffield being lower on the vote total was more because the writers kind of didn't like Sheffield. You know what I mean? None of these guys were that popular with the media. The, all three of those guys sure. fall into that category, and that's where you get in trouble with yeah. letting the media vote for it, is that they have their own inherent biases just by dealing with these guys. They're humans. Yep. But I think that those three guys, um, their careers are such and their numbers are such that I think they deserve to be in. The only one that I even had a second thought about was Gary Sheffield, right. just because, I mean, you got to play some defense yeah. at some point, and Absolutely. I don't think he ever did. Yeah. He now, was, oh, go what, ahead. Oh, I was, was going to say, it was in a vacuum, yeah. If you just drop all three guys that's in front of me, you know, and I, I know no context, nothing about the game, and I look at Clemens and Bonds' numbers, obviously Hall of Famers, and even, uh, like, especially Bonds. I mean, those who watched Bonds before he went to the Giants, you know, he's on the Pirates. Uh, he was already a Hall of Famer. Uh, he, he was a Hall of Famer regardless. I mean, Barry Bonds, I think we can all agree, uh, whether you hate the guy or not, if not the best baseball player you've ever seen was, I can't imagine putting him outside the top five. Cannot imagine. I think, like you said, Bonds is obviously a top five guy all time. There's a great case, we talked about a little bit earlier, of him being the best offensive player of all time. Yep. And in his Pittsburgh days, he was a a legitimate five-tool guy. I mean, he ended up stealing 500 bases, absolutely. 500 stolen bases, most of those in the first half of his career. He was a good defender. He was hitting for average. He was hitting home runs. And I think that kind of the late 90s Sosa McGuire buzz mm-hmm. thing, I mean, you can't look into a guy's mental state, but no. I think he just, I mean, based on looking at it from the outside, it looks like he thought, you know, I'm a better player than yep. those guys. Why are those guys getting all the accolades? Maybe if I was hitting 60 home runs, I would be up there in the conversation with him. And that's when it kind of, you know, his head swelled up three right. times its normal yep. size. And and I'm trying to remember where I read this, but he, you know, before he went to the Giants, he, it was obvious he was leaving the Pirates. He was gone. Uh, he wanted a bigger market than Pittsburgh. He wanted to be the guy, you know, like the Sammy Sosa yep. and Mark McGuire. Right. He almost went to Atlanta, by he, the way. I was, I was going to say, Tom Glavin started recruiting him. Yep. So uh, in some crazy alternate timeline, Barry Bonds, you know, would have put up those numbers for the Braves and maybe the allegations eventually come out, but I'm supporting him. Absolutely. Because I'm a homeowner. Well, let me, let me ask you this. I've heard, and I don't know if this is 100% true, I was a very small child at this point. Right. Or not even born. I don't really remember when exactly it happened. But I've heard that Ted Turner decided he was getting – either Barry Bonds or Greg Maddox. And it came down and we got Maddox, and then you get the Braves of the 90s yeah. where they're the best pitching staff in the league. I mean, that's a fun alternate reality there. Oh, what and if- and I, it's tough thinking about it just because, you know, growing up as a Braves fan with a grandfather and family who were Braves fans who, you know, I, I was five, six years old, but all I was told was there will never be a pitching staff greater than what you're watching right now. Which is the truth. Exactly. And so it, it's tough to think about, but... I mean, just imagine Barry Bonds out in left field for the Braves instead of those Chipper Jones years when Chipper could be playing third base. Ryan Klesko. Shout out oh, Ryan Lord. Klesko. Oh. I mean, Greg Maddox is one of the – I mean, if you ask me, he's one of the best five pitchers of all time too. Yep. But when you just look at the makeup of the team, if you got Smoltz and Glavin – this is also not a Braves podcast, but we're going to talk about <laughs> the Braves for a minute. Sorry. When you got Smoltz and Glavin and, you know, then Avery and Rollers and the other guys, yep. if you – Maddox – was the best pitcher on the team. Mm-hmm. But if you take him out and replace him with Barry Bonds, it's a more balanced team. Do you think we won another World Series or two? That's a good question. I mean, it's tough to think about the 1996 World Series when you lose to the Yankees thinking, you Devastating. Know, does Barry Bonds put you Devastating. There? Absolutely. Or, you know, in those just stringy years where the Braves are going out in the, in the divisional series, does he maybe elevate you and... Yeah, it, it's both a fun thing to think about and an infuriating thing. So. It's terrifying, or not terrifying, it's terrible to think about. Um, there's nothing in in my sports fandom that I take more joy from and more pain from than the Braves' 14 straight year division <laughs> yeah. winning streak. Yeah. Because it, on one hand, no one will ever win 14 straight division titles again. I think that that's record set in stone for the history of the, for the you know for the rest of Major League Baseball. I don't think that ever that's ever going to happen again. But at the same time, we only won one title, yep. and there was a couple in there. I mean, 
you think about 96 specifically, that, I mean, that's the Braves World Series. The Braves were the best team yeah. that year. And even, oh, yeah. even 91, I mean, there were some questionable things going on in the, in the uh, yep. what, do you, what do you call it, Minnesota? I don't remember what they called that it, dome it, up it, there. Oh, good Lord. It's gonna, I am going to hate if I can't remember. Was, yeah. it, was it the Metrodome? Metrodome. Metrodome. That's Metrodome. right. Yeah, there was some questionable activity happening in the Metrodome <laughs> as far as fans blowing in while the Braves yep. were hitting and that sort of thing. And I think that's the Braves World Series. And I think that, you know, a, you're a coin flip away from at least three titles in the 90s. Yep. And while you take a lot of joy and pride in the 14 straight divisions, man, we were close <laughs> to having an all-time dynasty there. And, of course, we were old enough to watch about five of them, so that's the most yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah, right. Well, I just assume that my first ten years are the best ten years I'm ever going to have as that's a baseball right. fan. So that's where we have our main differences, our only differences, really, mm-hmm. is I went I went ahead and put the steroid guys in, and you didn't, mm-hmm. and we talked about why. So there's three spots there that you got to pull out of yours. Um, go through just you know quickly why you chose the three guys that you did to fill those three spots. Okay, well, I'll group two of them together. I think Mike Mussina and Kirk Schilling actually get, kind of go together pretty naturally in, Absolutely. on this Hall of Fame belt. Because I don't want to say they're similar pitchers, because they weren't, but they have pretty similar cases. So early in the podcast, we talked about the whole idea of longevity, peak, all that. And when people think Mike Mussina and Kirk Schilling, they think, okay, those guys were around for a long time. You know, yep. They pitched, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but probably around 20 years. I Especially Mucina. I feel oh, like yeah, he went he was, on forever. Oh, I mean, he, he was with the Orioles for a long time. He was with the Yankees for a long time. Yep. Uh, you know, kind of in the same vein there. But they both, in my opinion, had pretty, not super high peaks, but high enough to where I think, you know, those guys, kind of like we mentioned with the War 7, if you take those their seven best years, you know, are they Clemens level? Are they Koufax level? Obviously not, but not many guys are. And you look in the Baseball Hall of Fame at some of the guys over the years who've been inducted, Guys like Don Drysdale, guys like Jim Bunning, who in their own right were great pitchers, but uh, weren't quite the best in the league, I didn't think. At any we're point. not talking about greatest of all time guys here. Exactly. And Mike Mussina and Kurt Schilling, I think, naturally kind of fit in in that vein, especially Kurt Schilling, because some of those last Diamondbacks years, uh, the first year or two he's with the Red Sox, he wasn't just a good pitcher. I mean, he was right there with the best in the league. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you were a Diamondbacks fan at the time and you saw on Monday you're pitching Randy Johnson, Tuesday's Kurt Schilling, you tell yourself, you know, we're 2-0 and right there. That's going to be two easy wins because they were both almost on that same level. Got to do a World Series almost by themselves. The exactly. Two, the two of them and Luis Gonzalez. No, absolutely. So, uh, and especially Kurt Schilling, you know, I don't put too much stock into postseason success or – single individual moments but I was going to ask you that let me cut cut in right, right here sure, go ahead. I was going to ask you what you how you value the postseason because yeah. I think especially Kirk Schilling what he did in 2001 I mean it could be the difference in leaving him on your ballot or taking him off Absolutely. I mean for me I didn't put either one of these guys on my ballot mostly because I wanted to put Clemens and Bonds in and I think that these two guys have Hall of Fame caliber careers, mm-hmm. but for me, they were just nine and ten on my list. If you don't count Bonds and Clemens, so right. I put Bonds and Clemens in. I took those two guys out. I think that these guys are married to each other in a way because mm-hmm. they're completely different pitchers. But if you look at their career as a whole, I think that if you're going to include one, you have to include the other. Right. And I think a sidebar here is Kirk Schilling tweets. Uh, <laughs> his, his social media complicates things. How how many guys do you think decided not to vote for him based on his um, political and social views? I'll say there's but, a couple. There's a couple. I, I can't mean, say how many. There's a couple. But we, let me just pull up real quick his polling numbers. I mean, you've seen his polling it or last year he got fifty two percent of the vote and okay. Kurt Schilling got forty five. Yep. Which I mean six percent or seven percent if I could do math seven percent of the vote is enough to keep you out, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So I think that that's the difference because I think if you look at their careers, they're pretty similar. Yeah. And I think that um, Hall of Fame voters should be able to divorce themselves from the person. Yeah. Not specifically in Kurt Schilling, but in a lot of cases. And just look at their playing career. But that's an aside. Yeah, Ty Cobb was a shitty person. Questionably, questionably, there's you know we're hundred years out, and there's some people coming back saying Ty Cobb wasn't that bad. There's a new book about it. That's there right. is, there is. Apparently, he got besmirched by the fake news media. I don't know. It existed in, in uh, 1920. It's always been around. Apparently, who knows? But I think that back back on topic, I think that these two guys are Hall of Famers, right. and if Bonds and Clemens get in, they would go on to my list. But I think it's an interesting dichotomy in the 
the style of pitcher they were because if you just look at the stats, mm-hmm. I mean, Kurt Schilling's K9, I don't have it in front of me, but it was over 10. Oh, I mean, yeah. he was a strikeout pitcher. He was yep. a power guy. Mucina was more – he wasn't quite that way. He was more of a ground ball sinker slider guy. Yep. But at the end of their career, they have similar cases. And I think if you're going to put one in, you have to put the other one in. And Mucina is kind of one of those guys who I'll admit – just a little bit, kind of piled up numbers over the course of a very long career. A little bit career. of a stat co- stat compiler. A little bit, but you know, I, I'm okay in his regard. Now, Schilling, I thought had the higher ceiling, had the higher peak in his career, because like I said, those last couple of Diamondbacks years, first couple of Red Sox, he was kind of a guy. And back to what we said about postseason success, individual moments. Don't put a lot into that, but you know, you mentioned the 2001 World Series when the Diamondbacks yep. won. Two, th- 2004 run for Kurt Schilling. Yeah, too. the 04 run with the Bloody Sock. I mean. I want to say the Bloody Sox in the Hall of Fame already, isn't it? It is. Was it actual blood or was it just red paint? I don't remember. <laughs> there was a conspiracy about it. But I, <laughs> I believe it was act- an actual Bloody Sox. And uh, I mean, that, that's one of the formative experiences experiences in my baseball fandom. You know, I, mean, I, I guess I would have been 11 years old at the time. Yeah, that's right when you're forming your, your identity as mm-hmm. a sports fan. I'm right there with you. That's peak... You know, baseball fandom for yep. me. When you're looking at the bloody sock, even go back to 2001 with um, Luis Gonzalez's yep. walk-off hit yep. off Mariano Rivera. Those are the the moments that you remember as a kid that make you the baseball fan that you are. Yep. So not to spend too much time on the pitchers, because I do want to defend Scott Rowland very quickly, because I actually feel a little more strongly about him than I do them. Right. Because you know, here's where I am on Scott Rowland is that you know, there's no doubt about it. Chipper Jones was the best. Third baseman of our generation. Preach. I, yeah, I, I don't think that's debatable. Uh, I'm thinking in my head, and yeah, no one comes close. Uh, <laughs> but with Chipper, you know, I'll be the first to admit, 95% of his value comes at the plate. You know, as a hitter. That's you know, true. That's what Chipper Jones would in games. Although he gave you a little pro- positional versatility there. In a little left bit field. In left field, if, it, <laughs> if that didn't shorten his career. But if I had to go, you know, who is the best two-way third baseman of our lifetime? I think back, you know, maybe one day Nolan Arenado will change his opinion. But at the moment, you know, Scott Rowland, in my opinion, was is basically a Brooks Robinson 1.5. I'm, I'm not going to go to full 2.0 because obviously he's no Robinson. But uh, Scott Rowland gave the Cardinals some years in those mid-2000s, you know, when they were winning that World Series, that he wasn't, you know, out at Pujols level, but very few guys were. Uh, that whole cast of him, Jim Edmonds, were some very good two-way players, and I thought Roland was the best of them. As much as I hate to say it, those were some good Cardinals teams oh, back there. Uh, Chris Carpenter on the mound, fantastic as, teams. As a Braves fan, I hate the Cardinals more than any other <laughs> sports team, I yeah. think, even more than Alabama football, because <laughs> I was there at the uh, at the oh, Lord. at the the infield fly game. Oh, I, I remember the text. I it remember. was awful, because it, you're in the stadium when this happens, and you have no idea what happens, because Brian McCann just got a bloop single, and we tied the game, or whatever it was. Yeah, just, just quick tangent about that game that I think is always worth mentioning is that on that night broke up with my longtime longtime girlfriend at the shout time. out to you yeah w- wandered through the strip of knoxville next to ut's <laughs> campus uh drank a little much and we're here we're here now <laughs> we're all better people because of it exactly me and our original our normal podcast host austin coley were at that game did you throw trash we were not close enough to throw trash. We would have hit other people. Yeah. And I think that um, at the time, uh, Austin and I weren't physically prepared to hit other people right. with trash. But we literally didn't know what happened. I yep. mean, we had just... I don't remember if we tied the game or if we brought it to 6-5, six to, six to five, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It was a huge play in the game. And the next thing you know, they just called somebody out. And we it didn't was... know what it was. I remember texting you. I remember calling my dad. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't know what happened because Freddie Gonzalez. <laughs> it was God, surreal. God bless Freddie Gonzalez. He didn't argue with an umpire his entire career except for that night. And yeah. he was in the left field arguing <laughs> with the left field umpire about who knows what. I didn't yeah. know what. Jeez. I, I mean, talk about a formidable. formidable f- formidable? Formative. 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 Yeah, That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> that, shout out to the U.S. education system. I'll, I'll never forget. Formative experience as a sports fan. That was awful. So as much back to what we were saying before as much as i hate to say it those were great you yeah. know cardinals teams with Par- Pujols and Roland and chris carpenter and the rest mm-hmm. yadi and marlena good yeah, grief oh yes yeah, so I, I guess my conclusion on that would be you know, scott Roland, in my opinion the best two-way third baseman which you know which is a bit premium position defensively uh these days so i i'm going scott Roland. i mean ballot. you got the the eight gold gloves and gold glove isn't always the the measure of the best defensive, mm-hmm. you no, know, it's not the best way to measure defense. We, we said we we're not going to get too deep into the stats, and, and we're not. But in this 
scenario, I think it's valid. When you look at this year's ballot, the only guy who was better based on Fangraph's UZR, which is their defensive metric, was Andrew Jones. And trust me, we'll get into Andrew oh, Jones. Yeah. Oh, We're yeah. going to have a big, long talk about Andrew <laughs> Jones in a minute. But Andrew Jones was the only player that was better than him defensively. So I think when you talk about Scott Rowland's case, you have to mention the defense as as a part of it. Because just as a hitter, he's probably not a Hall of Famer. Right. He was a very good hitter for a long time. Yeah. He was – when you compare him to Andrew, Andrew had a higher peak. Scott Rowland was better for longer, as a, especially as an offensive player. Sure. But the defense has to account for Scott Rowland's value. I mean, it's yeah. a lot of what he was as a baseball player. And a lot of guys have you know trouble with the defensive aspect of the game because you know I'll admit it's tougher to quantify that. You know, when you're at the Absolutely. plate, you can count home runs, you can count batting average, you can count anything. But defense is just. Sometimes you look at it, you know it's good. Sometimes you've kind of got to trust the experts on it. Right, right. It's a little more nebulous. I mean, you can watch a guy and know if he's good defensively or not, but when you start comparing guys based on how good they are defensively, mm-hmm. that's something that we're still not very good at qualifying. Yep. Even if you look at defensive war or baseball references, D-war, mm-hmm. or fan graphs, UZR, or anything like that, you're trying to quantify defense, but yep. it's still kind of not as scientific as the offensive stats are. Yeah. But, I mean, you got to use what you have. And all the defensive metrics we have say Scott Rowland's one of the best third basemen of all time. Absolutely. And that has to be part of it. And I think, looking at my list, I would have loved to put Scott Rowland on it. Sure. Because I don't think he's getting enough love. And I think that he's probably a Hall of Famer. But just with the with the 10-guy limit, mm. I couldn't get him on mine. But and it's his first year on the ballot. He'll play. It of is too. I think he might get in long term. But it it brings up an interesting discussion of defense. Of how much do you weigh defense? I mean, there's people yep. that say defense is half of the game, and technically it is. But I think when you're talking about offensive uh, hitters, not offensive yep. players, but hitters, most of their value is on offense. I mean, yep. even with the best defenders, you look at Andrelton Simmons or Ender Enciarte or insert defensive player who's not a brave here you know I can't really think of one off the top of my head but I mean most of your value for your team comes on offense so how do you rate defense generally when you're looking at the Hall of Fame well if you ask Omar Vizquel voters it's the one and only oh my goodness Omar uh, Vizquel put a a pin in that now we get to Omar Vizquel and it's a lot tougher than it used to be because um, back in the day you know they would think about defense and they would say you know how many putouts did this guy have what was his fielding percentage and then in 2018 we know that neither of those stats or any traditional defensive measure is that reliable. So Wait, Chip Carey wants a word with you. You mean errors aren't the most yeah, important I, defensive statistic? Yeah, we that we could have a whole other podcast on the Braves commentary team, but we'll avoid that. I'm sure. Episode two, <laughs> with with the the two Lewises is right. coming on the Braves commentators. Good grief, the Braves in general. But They're it, yeah, no defensive. It's tough, but I think in 2018, our um, measures of defense are sophisticated enough that we can kind of use those in tandem with the offensive values I think you're right and I think it has to be part of it I think when you get into some of the guys that are on my list Fred McGriff and Gary Sheffield mm-hmm. and even Jim Tomey specifically and Edgar Martinez I mean Edgar Martinez was not a negative defender because <laughs> he wasn't a defender he wasn't a defender at all once again shout out to DHs yep um I think that defense has to be a part of it because you have to play defense unless yep. you're a DH and but I think like I said a minute ago your main value as a hitter is at the plate. Yep. And I think that if you're like Omar Vizquel, if your only elite characteristic is defense, I don't think you can be a part of the Hall sure. of Fame. I just don't think you're you you're able to reach the elite level, no matter how good a defender you are. Sure. Okay. I want to kind of transition this into some player versus player. I don't know if it's going to be debates. We might take the same side of this, but some guys that I think are comparable mm-hmm. that I think aren't getting the same level of love when it comes to the actual ballots. So the first guy I want to talk about, or the pair of guys I want to talk about, are Vladimir Guerrero and Larry Walker. You look at these guys as players, and they're pretty comparable. I mean, Vlad was a better player, but it's pretty close. Better hitter, for sure. He's a better hitter, absolutely. But I think Larry Walker, he gives you more as a base runner. He gives you Mm -hmm. more in the field. Um, 
and you look at their cases, I think they're comparable. I think Vlad probably comes before Larry Walker, but they're close enough mm-hmm. where I think if you're voting for Vlad, you got to have a good reason not to vote for Larry Walker. Right. And we both voted for Larry Walker. We, we didn't vote. We didn't get a vote. because a vote. Yeah, because the Baseball Riders of America don't, rep, don't respect the informal podcast, which nope. one day they will. <laughs> and it, it's coming, all right? Just stay with Just us. Wait We're going to get there. But we both think Larry Walker's a Hall of Famer. But I think the main reason he doesn't get the love he deserves, in our opinion, is he played the majority of his career, or at least the prime of his career, mm-hmm. in Coors Field. So as a Baseball Hall of Fame voter, which you're yep. not, but you should be, Yep. how do you take Coors Field into account? Because it is, it's a hitter's paradise, huge power alleys, mm-hmm. huge gaps, triples for days, balls flat, they're like you're on the moon. How do you reconcile that? When you're comparing Rockies players to other players, which we're gonna, we're gonna might have to touch on Todd Helton a little bit here too, sure. which he's on next year's ballot. We'll have a podcast about oh, yep. this next year. But when with guys specifically like Larry Walker, how do you factor out Coors Field? And it's tough because even these days, you know, we've got guys like Nolan Arenado, we've got Charlie yep. Blackman, we've got guys putting Carlos up big, Gonzalez, absolutely, uh, Troy Tulowitzki when he was back with even the Rockies, even Troy Tulowitzki, yep. guys who put up big numbers, big power numbers in Coors Field. And uh, the first question that always comes up, or the first criticism that always comes up, is well, they're playing in Denver, of course, you know. Not only power numbers, but batting average numbers yep. too. I mean, look at DJ LeMahieu. Yep. I mean, he can can barely crack double digits in home runs, but right. I mean, those gaps are so huge. And then guys like Mark Reynolds, you know, go out there who are power hitters in the first place, but then yep. they get to Denver and things. Uh, All of a sudden, pe- you're hitting 35 or 40 bombs. Exactly, yeah. and you know, I'll be the first to admit it's a pretty semi-valid criticism, in my opinion. Now, where I would go with Larry Walker on that, you know, the reason why we should not worry about that is because, you know, he was already a good player. I mean, he was with the Montreal Expos, and as far as I know, the Expos are not on some giant mountain range like the uh, Rockies are. <laughs> that, I've never been to Montreal, yeah. but I think that it's pretty close to sea level. Yeah, you know, I don't so. know that. I'm not a geography major, but yeah, I think no, you know, he was already a good player. And now, was he better with the Rockies? Sure, but, I mean, he, you know, he had a couple of years of experience. He's seen his prime. I think it all comes at a pretty natural progression for Larry Walker. And, uh, I mean, he was the NL MVP in 1997. Uh, there was not a single player, you know, even in the steroid era in that year, better than Larry Walker. If we're doing the whole longevity versus peak argument, uh, you know, you're going towards the peak there. You know, who were, who were the best players in the league? And for one year, Larry Walker was that best player. No one – let me cut you ahead, off yeah. real quick right here. No one talks about Larry Walker in the late 90s. 1997, you're talking peak steroid era. Yeah. Peak Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds. And Larry Walker won the NL MVP. Let me just throw you a stat, a, a slash line real quick. Yeah. 366, mm-hmm. 452 on base percentage. Oh, Lord. 720 slugging, OPS approaching 1,200. Yeah. I mean, and he won, he won the MVP in a year that Bon Sosa, McGuire, who, I mean. Everybody was there in the NL. Mean, you got guys putting up ridiculous video game numbers, yep. and Larry Walker was the consensus best player in the league. Exactly. And then a couple years later in 2001, he had a very similar season in, in which I I don't know exactly where he finished in the MVP voting, but I'm sure it was top five because it was that good of a season. And 01, if I remember correctly, you know, was was that the year that Bonds first hit 60-something, I want to say? Was uh, that the – that might have been 72. Was that – or 73. You, was keep, that, you keep talking. I'll look Yeah, up. okay, yeah, go ahead. So – Larry Walker, you know, in 2001 was just four years later was putting up that those same numbers, uh, right as the stereo was speaking. And in regards to the course field stuff, you know, the spike in the video let game, me, let offensive me, numbers. Go let ahead. me cut you off right here. Barry Bonds in 2001, that was his 73 home. Was, okay, I knew it was yep. the 2001, but yep. so even if you're going to use course field as an argument, you're going to say uh, it spikes the offensive numbers. Okay, whatever. Larry Walker was a surprisingly solid defensive player throughout most of his career. I mean, towards the end, all, like all guys is going right. to peak tail off. But in his prime, was a fine defensive player and like in you a, said, a base runner in a in a pretty premium defensive position. Absolutely, too. I mean, I mean, right field is a very important defensive position, and you can't discount what he did on the base pass. Yep. I mean, stolen bases isn't the you know the end all be all right. of base running, but it's the most basic stat we have. He had over 230 yeah, stolen I mean, bases. No. I mean, that's serious value he's giving you on the base pass, too, and that doesn't have anything to do with where you're yeah. playing home games. I told you that, in my opinion at this moment, Larry Walker's pretty much the new Tim Raines in the way that you right. know, when Raines is first on the ballot, I don't think 
advanced statistics were enough to kind of tell everybody just how good Tim Raines was. And then eight, nine, ten years into the ballot, people realized you know, that Tim Raines was really good. That, Shout out Jonah Carey. That's right. This isn't a guy that we can uh, have missing in the Hall of Fame. And I think Larry Walker, here in a couple of years, might end up being the same way. I think you're right. I think eventually Larry Walker, Larry Walker will get in. He, last year, what did he get? Like, I don't know. I mean, he's in his eighth year, and he only got 22% last yeah, year. It's tough. And, and that, that reminds me, and, and something that the Baseball Hall of Fame has done that's just criminal to the Riders is that they've dropped the, you know, usually on the ballot from 15 to 10. That's a that's a new thing. That was the first year of that. Yeah. Is this the first year of that, or was it last uh, year? It's one of the two. It's but really new. Either way, Tim Raines probably would not have gone in. He wouldn't have. that had happened. He absolutely earlier. wouldn't have. And I think that Larry Walker and even, you know, Fred McGriff and, you know, Maybe Edgar Martinez. I hope yep. not. But there's some guys that are going to fall victim to that. With yep. it, you get taken five years away. Not only do you only have ten guys to vote for, you've only got ten years to do it. Yeah, I'm looking at the ballot now, and you know Fred McGriff is in his ninth year currently, and it's at polling at 21 percent. Unfortunately, we'll talk about him a little bit more later. But I think he's probably done. Yeah, well, we're uh, about to, we're about to get into that. So yeah. just go ahead. If you want to dive into Fred McGriff, go ahead. I mean, me, me and you both agree Larry Walker's a Hall of Famer, yep. but he's probably not going to get in. On you know, and you get the Veterans Committee and all yeah, that. They sneak yeah. guys in the back door all the time, and maybe he'll get in that way. But Fred McGriff, we're Braves fans. Yep, we love the crime dog. I don't know about you. I don't remember this because I was only you know two years old, yeah. but I remember seeing the highlights of Ted Turner. John Sherrill's trade for Fred McGriff in 1995. Mm-hmm. His first game in Atlanta, he hits a home run, and the stadium catches on fire. <laughs> I mean, the old one. W- what? Yeah, <laughs> Fulton, shout out Fulton County. Yeah, shout out Fulton County Stadium. I mean, the drama, the yeah. the storyline with that. But Fred McGriff, when you take his career as a whole, I think he's a Hall of Famer. You think he's a Hall of mm-hmm. Famer? Why is Fred McGriff? Only polling at twenty one and a half percent going into this last year, and I, and I was wondering about that earlier. And one thing that I looked into, and two guys actually who I thought were very similar were Fred McGriff and Jeff Kent, of course, second baseman from the Giants. I've got him on here too. Yeah, and I think you know, kind of one of the biggest issues with them is that you know they had relatively short peaks. I mean, it, it's not like they were one season done or two seasons and done, but compared to some of the guys, of course, you know, like Chipper Jones, guys like Scott Rowland, they didn't just pile these stats up over years and years. Uh, they had their peaks. They had some very good years. But uh, I want to say that Kent only played like 16 years, I want to say. I think, Sandra, I think he played I'm from 92. Double check you real quick. Yeah, it was Kent's 92 to 08. 17, but okay. yeah, right. I mean, it's a shorter career. And when you look at the stats you mentioned earlier, War 7, yeah. of uh, trying to measure guys' actual peak, Yeah. Um, Jeff Kent – and Fred McGriff are both right at 35 war. Yeah. So that's 35 wins over your seven best seasons, yeah. which I'm again, I'm not a math guy, but that works out to seven or to five war a yeah. year over your peak. Which is good, but five war is a good player. Five war is oh, an all star. Five war is an MVP candidate, but yeah. it's not an elite best of the best guy. I mean, just throwing some guys out there, you look at Bonds. His war seven is over 70. Oh, God. I mean, Edgar Martinez is up near 45. Yeah. You come back to Chipper Jones, he's over 45. I mean, you want your guys into well into the 40s, yeah. I think. Oh, you know, yeah. not knowing a ton about this stat, but just looking at the list here, the obvious Hall of Famers are up over 40, and these guys aren't quite there. So I agree with you that the – I don't know if you could ever say Fred McGriff or even Jeff Kent mm-hmm. were the best player at their position at a certain time. But, I mean – when you just look at the career as a whole, yep. and maybe it's because I'm a Braves fan and Fred McGriff helped us win a title. I mean, that guy holds – he's part of you know my favorite team of my lifetime, and you know, albeit I don't have a ton of memories from, right. that, from that, but you got to hold on to what you got to hold on to. Right. But I think that if I can take myself out of being a Braves fan as much as I can, I think that Fred McGriff deserves to be a Hall of Famer, and I think you're that's an astute point to put – Jeff Kent with him because I think they're similar guys in terms of having a really good career over a really long time but maybe not quite getting to the peak you want and if, if you had to compare those two players once again uh, as much as I hate to say this Jeff Kent would probably get my vote if I was not completely biased over Fred McGriff because he won that 2000 MVP uh, just over Barry Bonds who of course you know probably the best player of our generation and uh, and I'll be the first to admit, is Fred McGriff a better player than Barry Bonds, the Roger Clemens, all that? Obviously no, not. But no. uh, once again, like you said, this is a biased podcast, even though it's not a Titans one. So. It's not a Titans podcast. It is a biased podcast. I can't believe Jeff Kent won the 2000 MVP. Yeah, yeah. You go back and look at some of these MVP awards, Jeff Kent 
in 2000? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's peak Barry Bonds right there. How's Jeff Kent? Are we getting into Michael Michael Jordan territory where people just got tired of voting for him and gave Patrick Ewing an MVP? More than likely. Now, there are some rumors. I think I've heard some rumors that that apparently caused a lot of dissension in the Giants clubhouse. Well, because yeah. Because obviously Bonds probably should have been MVP and Jeff Kent won it. Uh, but you know what? Two MVPs in the same clubhouse. Can't argue with that. Just a quick look at Jeff Kent's baseball reference page. I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with the black ink on best baseball reference. Mm-hmm. I know you are. Black ink is when you lead the league in a certain category in a certain year. Jeff Kent has no black ink on his entire baseball really? reference page. He doesn't. Now, is that important? It depends because it's it's you know contextual. It's based on how good other guys were. I think it's funny that he won the 2000 MVP when he didn't have – he didn't lead the league in any meaningful offensive category. Yeah, it's tough, you know, as we said with the whole peak thing. If you're looking at a player and at no point can you say, you know, this guy was the guy either on his team or, uh, more importantly, in the entire league, it, it's kind of tough to It's a tough argument. I don't know that I would go as far as you as to say that Jeff Kent should be in. Um, but Fred McGriff should be. I'll say that. Yep. I'll go out on a limb and I'll say Fred McGriff should be in. I mean, you look at a guy who had 493 home runs. We're not talking about statistical milestones, but if he had 500 home runs, sure. oh yeah, he's in the he's in the Hall of Fame right now, right? Yep. Now I'm going to Google this real quick because I mean, obviously, I am by absolutely no means saying that Fred McGriff is a better player than Lou Gehrig, but I want to say Lou Gehrig ended up with 493, didn't he? Lou Gehrig versus Fred McGriff is an interesting argument because mm-hmm. I I kind of agree with you when you look back on. The, for lack of a better term, old time guys, guys mm-hmm. played that played on the twenties and thirties Yankees. We put those guys on a pedestal at a level mm-hmm. that we don't think guys like Fred McGriff should be included with. But don't you think those guys get some historical clout based on playing with Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle? Or yeah, I, no, I, I'd absolutely agree with that. I mean, if you look at baseball uh, over its history and say, you know, when were the peaks? When were the Two times that were, were romanticized more than anything. It's obviously the 1920s with Babe Ruth yep. Gary. The 27 Yankees. The Murders Row Yankees. And you've got the 1950s when you've got the explosion of the Yankees, the Dodgers, uh, just right. in, in America in general. And those, I, th- I those think guys I feel s- a lot. I think I said Lou Gary played with Mickey Mantle. I don't think that's. No, that, that's that, not right. Yeah, that's not accurate. I, the 50s. I, was, I was thinking Joe DiMaggio. But right. Right, the point holds that I think that those are the, area, the eras when, I mean, you're a history guy. The 20s mm-hmm. and the 50s are mm-hmm. probably the. The, you know, some of the times in history that are best for America as a country, yep. and I think we look fondly back on those eras, not only in baseball but yep. in other things. But I think it definitely bleeds over into baseball. Oh sure, and especially with the Yankees. I mean, they were America's team back then. It, the Yankees were the team that were in the paper in every city in yep. America. Oh yeah, and I think that guys like Gehrig got extra, you know, you know, accolades and clout based on playing for the Yankees in a way that guys don't get now as Absolutely. much. And I think that Fred McGriff, I mean, like we said, three, 493 home runs is basically 500 home runs. Yeah. And you look at the rest of his stats, I mean, he's a great on-base guy, you know, slugging over 500. Mm-hmm. OPS plus 134. Yep. I mean, 34% better than the league average for his entire career. Mm-hmm. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I think that we talked about defense earlier, and his defense was pretty atrocious, but he's playing first <laughs> base. So, I mean, who cares? I don't care. If you're playing first base. Yeah. You're there to hit. And yeah, he was a right. great hitter. And I think I think Fred McGriff should be in the Hall of Fame. And there's a good argument for it. I absolutely agree with you. So the other player versus player that I want to talk about is a couple of guys that I don't believe they got on your list. I know they didn't get on mine. Okay. Um, are the two closers. Okay. The prominent closers on this list. Trevor Hoffman's going to get in the Hall of Fame. This oh, year. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's yeah I, just shout out to Ryan Thibodeau. I don't know Ryan Thibodeau, but he's compiling all the ballots on Twitter. And I think Hoffman was polling either at seventy five percent or just what I'll just look I'll just look it 74%, up. Seventy four percent, seventy four. Or I, I, right. I, I I'm sorry, that is, was last year. Is that right? Yeah, he, he was seventy four percent last. year. He got seventy four percent last year in his third year on the ballot. He's yeah. going to get in this He's, year, you know, you know, barring something crazy. So Hoffman's going to get in. Then you turn and look at Billy Wagner. They went on the ballot in the same year three years ago. Billy Wagner got ten percent of the 10%, vote last yep. year. Lewis, tell me why Trevor Hoffman. I know why, but I want defend it for me because yeah. the only statistical thing that Trevor Hoffman has that's better than Billy Wagner is he has 600 saves. Yeah, and Billy Wagner's at what like 420 something along in there. Yeah, that's the only reason. So other than that, why is Trevor Hoffman a better baseball player than Billy Wagner? I mean, it's one of those deals where the answer is 
so obvious we hardly have to say it, but I mean, when you look at the Baseball Writers of America, you know... Shout out old white guys. I was about to say, what makes up the Baseball Writers of America, it's old white guys who were born around the same time as our grandparents, and that's just the way it is, and what do old, you know, white guys love... The big stats. They love home runs. They love counting stats. They love RBIs. They love saves, and they love wins. I mean, if if I played Major League Baseball for the last 20 years, and I had 500 home runs, and I hit a buck 50, and, you know, couldn't play right field better than... uh, Me, myself. You, or Hillary Clinton, or anybody. Hillary Clinton. anybody, exactly. Uh, I would get in because I'd have hit 500 home runs. But So people look at the stats like saves, and they think, you know... Uh, you know, he had. I don't. Do you want to look that up? How many saves? Six hundred and nine off the top. But okay, I'll double so, check. Yeah. So he, he's the all-time leader in saves. But in 2018, you know, most every baseball fan, not even writers, but fan knows that saves are by far from the end all be all. Six hundred and one is the actual answer. Okay. But I agree with you. There was a, a period of baseball history, you know, decades where, like you said, you get 500 home runs, you're in. You yeah. get 300 wins, you're in. And Saves are along those lines, yeah. and that I mean, six hundred is you know, far and away. It's the most. What is it? The most ever? How many did did Mo end up with? How Not many? as many. Rivera, I'm pretty sure. So he's got the most saves, but saves are more a function of its opportunity. Exactly. You know? yeah. And he pitched longer than Billy Wagner did, which I mean, as as part of this discussion, you have to talk about longevity. And he pitched longer than he did. I've got the innings pitched mm-hmm. here handy. Uh, he pitched. Almost 200 innings more than Billy Wagner did. We, we've actually lied to our listeners, by the way. Apparently, Mariano Rivera does have more saves than he has 652. Whoa. We're not cutting any of this out. This <laughs> is an off. This is a from the hip podcast yeah. where Good we Lord. just completely gave Trevor Hoffman the saves record. I'm sorry. Mo Rivera has the saves record. He's going on the ballot next year, and he'll probably get in, and he'll probably deserve to get in. Yeah. And. Speaking of deserving to get in, I'm not saying that Trevor Hoffman doesn't deserve to be in. Yeah, That's not what I'm saying. I didn't have room for him on my ballot. If I could vote for as many guys as I wanted to, I'd probably put him in. I mean, the reliever discussion is a discussion we probably don't have time to get into today. But he's one of the best relievers of all time. And if you're one of the best at your position, you should probably be in. Sure. Here's here's also about relievers is that relievers are pretty much an automatic no from me. Okay. Just based on, you know, innings pitch, you know, just – no, I don't want to say counting stats because we overall value. Overall value because I mean, here I mean, look at it this way. I mean, let's let's see. Billy Wagner has a total of nine hundred three correct innings pitch. Yep. Trevor Hoffman has one thousand eighty nine. And then just for reference, you know, going back to the top of the ballot, Roger Clemens has almost five thousand. I mean, it's, and you're going to put those two guys in the same Hall of Fame. It, it's just tough. It's tough I, for me. Part of me agrees with you. I mean, there's no question that Roger Clemens was exponentially more valuable sure. to the teams he played for than Trevor Hoffman or Billy Wagner were, but. I don't want to pigeonhole guys based on their position. I mean, sure. I think that baseball is a very diverse sport and that there's a ton of different positions. And even mm-hmm. among pitchers, there's a ton of different roles. And I think that these are two of the best guys mm-hmm. in their role that have ever played oh, the sport. So my overall point is, like I said, I didn't put either of, you guys, either of these guys on my ballot, mostly because I didn't have room for them. But I think that if you're going to put Trevor Hoffman in, you have to put in Billy Wagner. Oh, I, I agree that it's criminal to exclude guys who didn't get the opportunities that other people did. Right. Billy Wagner, for all intents and purposes, is just as good, if not a better pitcher than Trevor That's, Hoffman. I, I, I'm going to make the case that he's a better pitcher. Yeah. I'm going to dive into the stats once again just a little bit. We look at ERA+, plus, which is ERA versus the league average. Right. Billy Wagner's at 187 for his career, mm-hmm. with 100 being average. And Trevor Hoffman's 141. Yeah, I mean... Way better. You look at WHIP, which is a little more... That's a little closer. It's 106 versus under 1099 mm. for Wagner. Mm. The saves is where Hoffman sets himself apart. He has right. almost 200 more saves, but that's mostly because he had more innings pitched. If you look at strikeouts on a per nine inning basis, Billy Wagner was at almost 12 strikeouts per nine innings for his entire career, yeah. while Billy Wagner was at 9.3. Billy Wagner also pitched for a team that had. Did I say some... Billy Wagner's at 9.3? Trevor Hoffman was at 9.3. Billy Wagner was at almost 12. And I was going to say, Billy Wagner also pitched for some teams that had some competition, were competing, whereas right. Trevor Hoffman played for the Padres. And, you know, good Lord, think of all the guys that played for the Padres over those years. Did he ever make the playoffs? I mean, I don't want to. I'm sure he did. Yeah, but... I don't want to talk about the, you know, it's not an NBA discussion of making the playoffs, helping you out, but. He was on a bad team his whole career, and That's if you're right. on bad team, a bad team, your wins are inherently closer. You're going to get more save opportunities. Yeah, I looked it up. Hoffman made the postseason shockingly six times in like 20 years. He pitched for a long time. He did. All right. I mean, but I think that you can't. The 
looking at the numbers, the only difference between the two of them is their saves, and that's based, in my opinion, almost 100% on the innings pitch and on the opportunities. Billy Wagner, on a perning basis, was an objectively better pitcher, in my opinion. Sure. And if you're going to put Hoffman over Wagner into the Hall of Fame, I just don't think that you're doing the research that you need to do. And I'm going to come out and say it. If you, if you vote like that, which is almost everybody who votes, apparently, because Trevor Hoffman's yep. going to get in, Billy, Wag- Billy Wagner never will. I don't think you should have a vote. I think that vote should go to us at Informal. Shout out old white guys. Old always. white guys, what's up? <laughs> the last specific players I want to dive into, Lewis, are the guys I have classified as the defense first guys. So the three original guys I put on on this list were Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, and Omar Vizquel. We went into Rowland earlier. We kind of broke that down. Mm-hmm. So the two guys left are Andrew Jones and Omar Vizquel. Full disclosure, as we may have mentioned, I don't know if we've mentioned this, we're Braves fans. Sure. I love Andrew Jones. I love him too. As you should. All good Americans love Andrew Jones. So that might bleed through a little here, but I think that we're going to try to be unbiased. I am anyway. So we talked about how defense factors in to your opinion of guys earlier, but I think Andrew and Omar Vizquel are unique cases in that they were better defensive players than they were offensive right. players. So I, you just look at the the – the balloting from what Ryan Thibodeau on Twitter has gathered so far. And Andrew Jones is struggling to get to 5%. Really? He may fall off the ballot. Oh, Lord. I didn't know that. I know. It's awful. It's a travesty. <laughs> and Omar Vizquel is up near 30%. Which is... I mean, Lewis, why is Omar Vizquel securely on the ballot? And, I mean, if you get 30% in your first year, you're probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame. Possibly, yeah. Whereas Andrew Jones is in real danger of falling off in his first year. It doesn't make sense to me. Explain this to me because I, I don't understand it at all. I mean, I guess my first thought is that Omar Vizquel has the, for lack of a better word, just the reputation among you know the older baseball writers. Well, he that, played forever, too. He, he played, played forever. He played 24, 25 years. I mean, yeah. So I, I'm looking on fan graphs right now, just you know, pure counting stats. I mean, Omar Vizquel has almost 3,000 hits. And, of course, I'm sure you can imagine, yep. uh, they love that. Andrew Jones has slightly under 2,000 hits. So Rodgers are going to look at that. Keep in mind, the Rodgers complete sheep, and they're going to <laughs> uh, hate him based on that. Yep. Look at batting average. And these days, we know that batting average is not the end-all, be-all. Not we, the best way to judge a hitter. I mean, we've got on-base percentage. We've got OPS. We've got... All these different statistics, but Omar Vizquel hits 272, which, by the way, is not that good of an average. It's not very good. It's below average, no. probably. Well, well, now it's probably slightly above average, but sure. it's not Hall of Fame. Kind Whereas of Andrew Jones is hitting 254. Now, keep in mind, you know, Andrew Jones is obviously a better power hitter. Was doing a whole lot of stuff. I'm not even talking about defense, but um, yeah, I, I, I'd say that's it. It's just going by traditional measures of performance. Omar Vizquel has the edge, but once again, we know the traditional measures are not the best. Well, and this is this is pure offense that you're talking about too. And Andrew only played 17 years, yep. and he fell off hard at the end. I mean, let's not sure. sugarcoat that. He left Atlanta, and I mean, there's been some some kind of steroid rumory uh, floaty things yeah. out there with Andrew too, which is it's very nebulous and. This is a guy that I don't want to talk about that with, just because it's not nearly as concrete as some of the guys we talked yeah, about at the beginning of the podcast. I can't do that. And I don't think that you can count it against him. But you can't deny that when he left Atlanta for LA, I mean, he was done. Oh, he a, fell off the cliff. He, he fell was off done cliff. as a baseball player. It was very quick. His career, it's 17 years, but you can basically take the last five or six and just throw them away. Yeah. So you're looking at basically like an 11 or 12 year career, which mm-hmm. is a short time. Very short. If you just look at those 12 years, he was, I mean, it's not close. The The stats you threw out that mm-hmm. where Omar Vizquel is, is better than Andrew are purely counting stats. Yes. I mean, you talk about hits. Batting average, he's better, but let's not talk about 272. Like, it's yeah, like, like it's, it's a great bet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if, he was ba- if he was a 330 hitter for 24 <laughs> years, he's in. Big deal, yeah. 270. Oh, he'd have 5,000 hits if he did that because he played. He for- played for 24 years. He had two, 2,800 hits. Yeah. That's not that Lord. great. All right. That's not that great. If Omar Vizquel retires after 17 years, no one's talking about this. Right. So they're both, back to the original question, they're both defensive guys mm-hmm. in that they were, the best baseball player they were was a defensive baseball player. Yeah. You had the fan graphs, UZR, pulled up earlier for their mm-hmm. career. Yep. And we don't have it in front of us right now. But Andrew's defensive metrics from, fran- from fan graphs are... Not only is he a much better hitter than Omar Vizquel, he's yep. a better defensive player. Yeah, and, and, and what also about Andrew Jones, if, if I had to give my just red dead absolute defense of Andrew Jones for the Hall of Fame, 
is that if you had to name the best defensive center fielder of our lifetime... The most premium position, by it, the way. It's going to be Andrew Jones. I mean, Without and, a doubt. And that's just our lifetime. That's just looking at it. If you dive into the deep, deeper statistical measures, he is still the best defensive center fielder of our lifetime. Now, if you want to go even farther back, I mean, I, I was actually looking at this earlier... Uh, I went through, you know, just career, who are the best defensive players of all time. And Andrew Jones, you know, and th- by the way, this is off Fangraph's defensive rating. Shout out and, Fangraphs. Right. Andrew Jones Send is us number money. one. Exactly. He's number eight. That's not just center fielders. That's not just, you know, players of our lifetime. That's every baseball player who's ever played the game. Top ten yeah. all Be- time in anything. Yeah. You should be in the Hall of Fame, right? I, I mean, agree. if it's prorated over your entire career, he's a top ten defender yep. at any position, yep. at any moment, yep. in Major League history. And, oh, by the way, he had 434 home runs. Exactly. Okay? I mean, we're not talking about counting stats, which we've talked about counting stats a lot, but that's not our end-all, be-all when it comes to the Hall of Fame. But if you're one of the top 10 defenders of all time and you hit 400-plus home runs, how are you going to fall off the ballot in your first year on it? And, by the way, going back to the whole argument of longevity versus peak, Andrew Jones should have won the MVP in 2005. Got jobbed. I mean, 54 home runs. Probably, 51 home runs. Oh, yes. 51, I'm sorry. I just got it in front of yeah, you. Best offensive player in the league, I would say. Uh, accounting for, even if that, at that point, if he was not the peak defender that he was, was still probably the best center fielder, center fielder in the league. Uh, Andrew Jones is the man. He, he, he especially when you look, he lost it to Albert Pujols, which defensively okay. is at best a zero. Yeah. It's <laughs> uh, probably worse. Andrew should have won that MVP. And if Andrew wins that MVP, he's probably, I don't know if he's, you know, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. No. I don't think. No, probably but not. The, the main discussion here is Andrew should not be off the ballot in his first year. And he's going to fall off the ballot in his first year. And it's a travesty. It's very And sad. I can't believe it. And very it makes sad. me mad. And Omar Vizquel has no business in the Hall of Fame. Give me one thing that Omar Vizquel has done to make it in the Hall of Fame. He was a good shortstop. Congratulations. He wasn't the best shortstop, was he? He 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 was breathing for a very long time. Okay. He played for he played for twenty four years. <laughs> good for you. You played forever. Longevity's fine. He can be in the Hall of Very Good. He's not a Hall of Famer. Right. And the fact that he has five times the vote totals that Andrew has, it's a travesty. Yeah. And as a baseball fan, it offends my sensibilities. Yeah. And I'm glad that we got to talk about this in a semi public forum. Old white men must apologize. Can we get some people in this voting pool, they actually know what they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, well, it's funny because, you know, some of the newer guys, I mean, I believe John Kerry has a vote now, doesn't he? He should. I think he does, actually. Uh, the, the, the newer generation of baseball writers, uh, as much as I disagree with them on certain topics, I think are doing a much better job in terms of the Hall of Fame type stuff, you know, where they're saying, Absolutely. we need more than 10 ba- uh, ballot spots. We need... Uh, to include these guys for more than 10 years because they took five years away from them and are kicking them off sooner now. Uh, I think the newer guys realize the Hall of Fame is a big deal as much as some people want to trivialize it, you know, kind of like we did earlier, as just a museum, just a big building. Right. Uh, you know, this is the uh, this is what guys aspire to. When they come into the league, they want to, you know, win the World Series. They want to be, you know, the best player on their teams. They want to make the Hall of Fame. And uh, to just put guys in there, I think, who aren't as deserving as the people who obviously should be in there is just odd, just very odd. And I, I agree with you in that this is the most prestigious Hall of Fame oh, of yeah. the major sports oh, God, in America. Yeah. Because baseball is the best sport. It has yeah. the most history. It's the most intricate. It's the best sport, without a doubt. If you have a different opinion, wrong. I'm sorry. Also, I, every basketball every basketball player ever makes the NBA Hall of Fame. I believe so. I'm in the NBA Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I scored 20 points in a single yeah. league game one time. Do I get in the Hall of yeah, Fame? Yeah, they, they put foreign players in there. So I mean, no. come on. No disrespect to foreign players. No, but. foreign players are great, but they shouldn't be in the... Uh, whatever. The, completely different. That's an aside. The Baseball Hall of Fame is the best, okay? Because baseball is the best sport. And I think that the exclusivity of it... Sometimes we go a little too far with it. Like, yeah. me and you both talked about how that's what makes it great is that everybody doesn't get in. But limiting it to 10 players, it's completely, it's an arbitrary number. Yeah. Why are we only at 10 players? We should be able to vote for whoever we think is the best. And I agree with what you said and that we don't, at least I don't, agree with everything that the new wave stats yeah. are, you know, kind of going. I think yeah. you're getting a little too deep in the weeds for me. Not a math guy. But I think that the analytical way that newer baseball writers you know more up and coming kind of a new perspective look at things mm-hmm. is much better for this because we're not just talking about the counting stats we're not disqualifying guys because they were rude to the media mm-hmm. like Andrew Jones I don't know he's a Hall of Famer for me yep 
a lot of that's probably because I'm a Braves fan, but he deserves some serious consideration that he's not getting right now. Edgar Martinez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yep. And we are this we're about to wrap this up, I promise. But <laughs> one last thing we've got to talk about before we get out of here is Edgar Martinez. He's in his last year on the ballot. He was at 58% last year. I thought he was his ninth year. Actually. Is that right? I think he's his ninth year. But he's yeah, about to fall you're, you're right. He's got, he's got two more years. Yeah. Okay. He's at 58% last year. I think based on Ryan Thibodeau's, you know, his tracker that yeah. he's keeping up with on Twitter, he's right at 75 right now. Yeah. He's got a chance to get in, but... It'll be close. He should he should be in the Hall of Fame, right? Am I crazy? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I could talk for an hour about Edgar Martinez. All I'm going to say about Edgar Martinez, and it's all you got to say, is they named the DH award after him. They named he, it after him. Literally the best player at his position in NFL, in, NFL history, in MLB history. The only other one that's close is David Ortiz. Who and, is a, a, a consensus Hall of Famer. Right. Every, David Ortiz is going to get in on the first ballot. Yeah, so. so what are we doing keeping Edgar Martinez out? In the prime of the steroid era, yeah. no allegations that I've ever heard of, and he was one of the best hitters in the league for a decade plus. No, that's one of my biggest points is let Edgar in. Let him in. Let Edgar in. I wanted to get more into that, but we've been going on for far too long here. Um, shout out to everybody that's made it to this point of the podcast. Thank you so much for to Aaron Lewis for being here to help me with this. Oh, thank you for having me. Do you have any parting shots here? I mean, No, I mean, hopefully we got a, big, a good Hall of Fame class. I think this should be maybe a big one. We don't have four or five guys in here. You know, hopefully they work on the Hall of Fame, let guys bet on more guys, stuff like that. And uh, I might have to make the trip for Chipper Jones, maybe I just was, for Chipper. I was going to say, I, it's been in the back of my mind for a long time. <laughs> I've never been to Cooperstown. I want to go. Chipper's one of my favorite players of all time. We might need to get up there. We'll talk about this off air. We can, yeah. But we might need to get up there and, and see and see Chipper's induction speech. But thank you so much to everybody that listened. We hope you love this stuff as much as we do. Obviously, we're huge baseball fans, and we just love the opportunity to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, thank you so much for listening. Keep downloading. Before I get off, if I don't say this, Austin Coley would, would kill me. Go to our Twitter, Informal US. Retweet the pin tweet at the top of our account. Hit us with that follow. Enter yourself to win potentially $20. We're going to pick the winner, I believe, at the end of this month, at the end of January. That's a whole case of beer. A whole hey, case. Live your dream. You can spend the 20 on whatever you want to, okay? <laughs> Once you get the 20 it's yours. You yep, can do what you want to with right. it. It's free money. All you have to do is retweet and follow. It's not that hard. Tell your friends if you like the podcast. If you don't like the podcast, tell your friends you do like the podcast. Yep. Download, listen. Thank you so much. We really enjoy doing that. this. We love you guys. We love baseball. Peace.